I would like you to have your words come from my mouth and tell these people something that's interesting to them, something maybe they can work with at another time later on in the week when they think a little about it. I really don't want all this work to be done for nothing. And you, Lord, are the best thing I can think of doing it for. And I thank you for giving me the energy to get it done. And I did it in the name of your son, Father. Amen. Okay. The study was about the book of Habakkuk, which I don't know how many of you are familiar with Habakkuk. But I had never studied really a, um, about a prophet of any kind. And I'd never really studied a poem, which in parts of this, it is a poem. Um, I don't know if you're going to be able to keep up with me when I go to some of the other uh, scripture notations. It might be easier if you just kind of hang with me and follow me through so I don't have to break apart so often. So Habakkuk was a man chosen by God to take his word to his people. These men are known as prophets or seers. The Hebrew word for that is nave, or one who speaks forth for God. In Deuteronomy 18.18, we can read what God says about prophets. He said, I will raise up from them a prophet like you from their fellow Israelites and I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. So from that point on I really did know that the words that came out of the prophet's mouth were the words of the Lord. Moses was probably the best-known prophets of all of them. And he was set apart from the other prophets and he spoke directly to God. And the Lord made it very clear to his relationship with Moses. In Numbers 12, 6 through 8, he was speaking to Aaron and Miriam and he said, listen to my words. When there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak 
face to face, clearly, and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Now Moses was really not in his comfort zone when he was with the Lord. And that's not hard for me or I think any of us to understand. How would you feel standing next to a bush that was burning for no reason, just burning? Or standing on a mountain rumbling because of its close proximity to the Lord? That would unnerve me a little bit, even more than I am right now. Many, or maybe most of the prophets, had the Lord's words impressed upon them in different manners. Habakkuk was no exception. He had questions for the Lord, and he brought these questions forth in the form of prayer. We really know scarce little about Habakkuk other than what is wrote in this short book. It became apparent that he'd been praying for, praying to God for many years about the sin that was running rampant in Judah. And he was getting impatient with the Lord because he felt as though the Lord was too long answering his prayers. It is believed the book bearing his name was wrote about 605 B.C., Jehoiakim was the king in power, and history doesn't paint a very rosy picture of Jehoiakim and his rule. The populace were deep into idol worship, even some sacrificing their children to pagan gods. I don't understand how they can do that in any manner. Jehoiakim was not a man drawn to prophets, or their writings. And if you lived through a meeting with him, you did well. The political landscape was rocky at best. The Assyrians to the north were beginning to falter, and the Babylonians were building steam in the south. Nebuchadnezzar ruled Babylon with an egomaniac style and crazed off-kilter stature. He wanted nothing more than to capture or destroy all who he could reach. All right, well, there's, that's a little bit of background about what was happening during the time of Habakkuk. So the, the text is really a couple of questions that Habakkuk puts to the Lord and the Lord answers him. And this is called Habakkuk's complaint. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received, how long Lord must I call for help, but you do not listen or cry out to you, violence. Lost my spot. Oh, there it is. 
for you cry out violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. And so that's, that's the first question that Habakkuk has got for the Lord. So the Lord's going to give him, give Habakkuk an answer. And the answer is look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. Now, I forgot to tell you, Habakkuk thinks that the Lord isn't paying any attention to what's going on in Judea at that time. Uh, there's bad stuff going on. He's trying to get a hold of him for a long time. So the Lord answers, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless and impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves. The Lord tells Habakkuk to look around, pay attention. He's not ignoring anything. The sins of his people are going to be paid for. The Chaldeans are on the way. And he says, they are a feared and dreaded people. They are a law to themselves and promote their own honor. The people surrounding Jehoiakim are about to feel Nebuchadnezzar's law. And the Lord goes on, Their horses are swifter than leopards and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong and their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities. By building earthen ramps, they capture them. When they sweep past like the era, like the wind and go on, guilty people whose own God is whose own strength is their God. And this is what Habakkuk has to say. There, the Lord continues on describing in horrific detail what is about to befall Judea. Their horses, he describes a cross between leopards and wolves the sight of which would make the prey want to turn and run. The cavalry sweeping in like eagles, their talons unsheathed. 
The Lord describes hordes of soldiers, which makes me envision them thick, like locusts swooping in with spears and swords. They laugh at the fortified cities and the cities of the local rulers. These armies would sweep through the cities like wind, capturing lands and enslaving people wherever they want. They would, they would bow down to no one. And what Habakkuk is really complaining about is and an army so evil that they're evil than what they're the people that they're going to come in and take care of. Um, he sees Jehoiakim's people as bad, but Nebuchadnezzar's people are terrible. So we're going to go to verse 12. Now this, this uh, verse here, I read it several times and really couldn't figure out what it was trying to tell me exactly. And I used a, a different verse or a different version. I went to the New Kames, New King James Version and it, it gave me a little bit better understanding. Uh, the New King James Version says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die, O Lord. You have appointed them for judgment. O Rock, you have marked them for correction. Now the NIV Version Rather than saying, we shall not die, it said, you will never die. And there was a, a big enough discrepancy there between the two versions that it, it kind, of me, kind of made me figure out, trying to figure out which one was I should really use here. But uh, the we and the you sometimes just didn't pan out for me. So anyway, um, Habakkuk goes on and tries to tell the Lord, he says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up the righteous When the wicked swallow up the armies more righteous than themselves. It says, You have made people like the fish in the sea, like the sea creatures that have no ruler. The wicked foe pulls up all of them with hooks. He catches in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet, and so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest food. He is to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy. 
Most of the warning the prophet finds is remarkable that God is capable of using such an extremely evil people to bring judgment on ones more righteous than, than himself. As we watch the evening news, we can generally differentiate the good guys from the bad, or can we really? We know that the neighbor's viewpoint we know what the neighbor's viewpoint is and how they see the conflict, but is that what they, is that what they say in line with their church? And are they in line with the living word of God? What does the Bible have to say today? Habakkuk is beginning to be a bit more contemplative with his second complaint to the Lord. He understands that the Chaldeans are being used by the Lord to plug, pull the plug on Jehoiakim and the evil that he has been propagating. He sees the common people as fish in the sea. Now ancient artwork on many walls show countless men pulling in their nets. The poetry of the day also tells the tales of the nets, capturing men as well as fish, gathering their fortune in their nets. When the soldiers would capture a town, it's not so different from throwing a net. They gather the people for slaves and all the goods of the land without labor for it, laboring for it. They treat their nets as idols, burn incense and continue on and on. They live and die by their nets. All right, well all that was in the first chapter. And I'm starting on chapter 2, and I'm going to see if I can get through it a little better than I did the first one. The New King James Version of the chapter 2, verse 1. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when corrected. The NIV version is, I will stand at my watch, station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. And the answer I am to give to, his, to this complaint. Now, trying to find an answer that he is going to give for God's complaint about his words and I didn't understand that one either and that's why I went to the NIV which the last line was and I will answer when I am corrected it sounds more as though he is waiting for the Lord to redirect his thoughts this is the Lord's answer to all that has been going on so far it says, the Lord replied Write down the revelation 
and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. The Lord wants to make sure there is no misunderstanding in what he is telling Habakkuk at this time. So we're going to move down to probably the most important um, verse of the whole of his whole uh, poem here. And it reads, Behold the proud. This is in New King James Version again. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. But the just shall live by faith. And that sounds pretty straightforward. Sounds like there's a line in the sand there. It says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright. But the just shall live in faith. God is making a statement. There are those living and dying by their own merit. Those that live and die by their own self-centered pride. Then we have those that rely on the blood of Christ to put an end to our sin, as seen by the eyes of God. We are either saved by the blood or we are not. In 1 John 5, verse 12, says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now let's give that to the town crier and see how he is received. Now the latter half of the verse, of verse 4 says, The just shall live by faith. And that single line is used three separate times in the New Testament. First, in Romans 7, 1, 17, and it's, quote, For the gospel, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The second time, that it's used is in Galatians 3.11. Clearly, no one who relies on the law is justified before God because the righteous will live by faith. The third time is in Hebrews 10, verse 37-38. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. 
Now in each of those three quotes, the accent was put a little differently on some of the words, but the, the main thought of that is what we live by according to the Bible. We live according to our faith. Okay, we're going to move down to a next line. And now this is the Lord talking about the enemy in the previous verse that is puffed up and his desires are not upright. He says, indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Because he is as greedy as the grave and the death is never satisfied, he gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the peoples. Will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and make himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will you, will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will they not wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey because you have plundered many nations. The peoples who are left will plunder you for you have shed human blood and you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to him who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest high to escape the clutches of ruin. You have plotted the ruin of many peoples, shaming your own house and forfeit, forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out and the beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only for fuel, is only fuel for the fire, and that nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters of the sea. Now these people that are going about killing everybody, these people are so arrogant, they could not keep their mouths shut. Add a healthy dose of grog and their egos grows just as the text describes as greedy as the grave. There will be a day all these men will get all they deserve. The Lord does not forget wealth compiled by stealing from a captive person's larder or the need to wipe blood from the plunder taken from an unprotected family living off the land. These were a few of the woes which were to be compiled by the Lord against the Chaldeans. There have been so many nations 
not every individual of each family felt the sword. So there will come a time when Babylon will feel the blade of retribution. They dispense unneeded bloodshed, gather ill-gotten goods, and are unmerciful in the mindless destruction of people, labor, and probably multiple, multiple generations of work to build houses, fences, and gardens. The Chaldeans gathered the best by killing the ones who labored and toiled greatly to obtain their livelihood. And this is another woe that the Lord is bringing against them. It says, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin till they are drunk so they can gaze on their naked bodies. You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it's your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you, and disgrace will cover your glory. The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you, and your destruction of animals will tell terrify you for you have shed human blood you have destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them so now they can give neighbors and friends the wine and spirits that cause people to lose what few morals they may have left while they are at the height of their glory it is still the same drunkenness that allows them to do obscene things with their neighbors and the bloody slaughter of animals and all the rest. The end result will be your drinking of the cup of the Lord's right hand and justice will be served. These are the last few verses. Of what value is an idol carved by a craftsman or an image that teaches lies for the one who trusts in it trusts his own creation he makes idols that cannot speak woe to him who says to wood come to life or to the lifeless stone wake up can it give guidance is it covered with gold and silver there is no breath in it And now they forget about their God and attempt to bring a wood or stone figurine to life. Even that gold or silver coating will not bring a man's craftsmanship to life. No matter how powerful for their army, it will not put breath into the life of a man-made idol. The Lord is in his holy temple, and let all the earth be silent before him. I'm not sure just how many people living in the day of Habakkuk would look at these words, 
and have an understanding that it will be the truth at some time. He is in his temple and definitely the earth is not silent. Well, people, thankfully, that's over. I thank you very much for being polite and listening. I'm so nervous up here right now, I can't hardly talk. I love you guys, and I did this in the name of the Lord to give our very deserving pastor a break. Thank you. Lord, I thank you for the job that I did. Though it was not good. You give me the strength I need to get through my every day. Sometimes it's really stressed, Lord. The Holy Spirit that lives within each one of you is living inside of me now too. And it has such a love for you guys. You are my family and I thank you. <laughs>